Good morning. That was pretty good. You guys are awake. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Glad you're here. Glad you're joining us online. We've been looking at 1 John. Um, John's letter, probably to the churches around Ephesus. Churches that were being challenged by outside forces, um, persecution, and also being challenged by false teaching. And so John writes these letters, there's three of them, as a follow-up to both encourage and to correct false teachings. Um, as I begin, um, because the, really the focus of, 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 of the beginning of chapter 5 is on our belief. So I, I, I took a look at the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, to, to look at how uh, Christians are referred to in the Bible. And so uh, here, here are some of the ways that we're referred to. Christians, disciples, followers, saints, sheep. That, I don't think that's a compliment, by the way. Um, salt, light, ambassadors for Christ, members of the body of Christ, royal priests, that is a compliment, uh, aliens, strangers, servants of Christ, and the people of God. That's just some. And, and really, each one of them kind of gives us a different picture of who we are as Christ followers. But according to John, according to John, the only identification that really makes any difference is to be known as a believer. Was, was that kind of God's way of saying amen? Let me, let, me, let me say that again. The only identification that makes any difference is to be a believer, is to be called a believer, to see ourselves as a believer. Unless we believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, nothing else matters. Now, I, I, you, you may be kind of arguing in your head with me, well, wait a minute, what about, what about uh, there, aren't there other ways Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Because belief opens the door to everything else that we call Christian. And here's what Merrill Tenney, uh, uh, yesteryear teacher, here's what he said about the purpose of the Gospel of John. He said the entire book is an attempt to swing the reader to the side of acceptance as embodied in the word believe. The underlying Greek word, pistio, which is typically translated believer, is used 98 times in the Gospel of John. 98 times. Do you think maybe John is trying to tell us something here? Do you think that maybe John, with his gospel, is trying to uh, convince us of the importance in our belief in Jesus Christ? Approaching the end of his life and ministry, John penned 
the fourth gospel and these letters, and it had one evangelistic purpose, that the believers would commit, trust, and rely upon the person and work of Jesus as their sole means of salvation. And as we look at chapter 5, John is reiterating this this, uh, imperative to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I, there, there is, is, a, is a growing argument within the Christian community uh, about, uh, about other ways to God. Well, I, I got to tell you that when I read the scriptures, particularly the Gospel of John and throughout the letters, it is clear that there is only one way. There's only one way to God, and that is through belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. There's only one way. And I know that it is scandalous in some ways and in some way offensive, and yet it is who we are. And that doesn't mean that we cannot be accepting and loving and, 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 and pour out the love of God upon all people. You know, we don't stand in judgment. We stand in conviction. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we look at this first part of chapter 5 as we're finishing up our, our study of 1 John. That is our focus. No one comes to the Father except through belief in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our Redeemer. For you are holy, O oh God. You are complete. You are all-knowing. You are all powerful. And so we lay ourselves before you in these moments to hear your word. And may you use these words. And for all that I don't speak, oh God, may you fill in the gaps in our heart that we would feel the tr- that we would hear your true word for us today. And for all that I misspeak, may you correct it in our hearts. That not only those would, would hear these words, but I too, Lord, would experience them and hear your message today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And he begins in verse in chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. You know, when when John writes this letter, he is assuming that that those who are reading this letter are believers. That they have embraced Christ. They believe that Jesus is the God-man, the promised Messiah. That he died for our sins and rose from the dead. But John wants us to know further that something else is going on here. That Jesus is the epicenter of an explosion of God's presence and love in this world. 
An explosion that began in Jerusalem and with waves through the century has spread around the world and cannot be stopped. John wants us to know that there is nothing that stands in the way of what God is doing in this world. No matter what CNN and Fox and MSNBC and whatever else says, God shall not be deterred. Our faith makes a difference. And and what he says about the believer is this, that we are born of God. That we are born of God. And in in the English language, a preposition kind of connects two ideas, born of God. In the Greek language, prepositions oftentimes have a deeper meaning. The preposition used here, translated of, is ek. And what, what ek, ek connects, does, it does connect two ideas, but <laughs> it means from the very center of something. So when John says born of God, it is to be born from the very center of God, from the very essence of who God is, from the, from the very identity of God, that we are born really into the person that God created us to be. You know, in the beginning, it says that, that we were born in the image of God. That image was broken, and we stand between that brokenness and the restoration that Jesus has promised to us. And when John says that we are born of God, we are born back into that existence, that image of God, the very center of God, the love of God. And he goes on to say, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You know, for John, it's inconceivable that as we are adopted into God's family, that we could love the Father and not love our siblings. Now, it may seem as if if you have smaller children that they don't love each other. And I'm sure that my parents thought that about my sister and I at one point or another. But I can tell you that there is nothing that I would not do for my sister. She is my sister. And what John is saying to us is that as God has loved us and accepted us into his family by adoption and made us his own, so also he has made all of creation. And therefore, we are to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The troubling part of this is the word obey and obey his commandments. I don't know about you, but I have a little bit of trouble with obey. Anybody else have trouble with obey? I mean, I mean, I I mean, just let me use this as an example. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a bench and it has a sign on it that says, don't touch wet paint. Is there anybody in here that wants to touch it? To see if, yeah, I knew it. To see if it's wet? 
I mean, I, I just sit there, I'm going, you know, if I do touch it and it is wet, you know, what do I do with the paint that's on my finger? But there's just something inside of us as human beings that we want to question that. Obey his commandments. And, and further, when he uses the word commandment, those who first heard, heard these words probably thought of the commandments of the Old Testament. There's over 660 laws in the Old Testament. Now, I'll tell you, I have trouble with 10, okay? I can't imagine keeping up with 660. And, and so what happened in, as John tells us, actually Matthew's the one who tells the story, is that a lawyer comes to Jesus because it was an argument among the Jewish leaders. You know, which was the most important commandment? You know, is it, is the fringe and the length of the fringe on your, on your robe as important as other commandments? I mean, and that was a law, that your fringe had to be a certain length. Is that as important? You know, so they're constantly, I mean, what's just the most important? So they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And we all know what Jesus said. He quoted from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the greatest and the second is likened to it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets when John says obey the commandments this is what he's talking about it's not complicated it may be hard but it is not complicated and these two commandments really go together like two sides of a coin. As John is telling us, to love God without loving your neighbor doesn't make sense. And what John, I think, is implying for us here is that as we love God and experience God's love and admit our faults before God and are real before God, that God enables us and gives us the ability love our neighbor they are inseparable in that sense he goes on to say for the love of God is this that we obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome he's beginning to go into detail here about these commandments uh, the Greek word terio is translated here obey in some translations, you'll find that it says that they keep the commandments. That's another translation of the word. But if you take a look at the, how the alliteration of the Greek is developed, you see here that it is also to protect To watch over. When John says to obey, to keep, he's saying also to watch over, to protect, that we may protect ourselves so that we can, with intention, love God, neighbor, and ourselves. Because it's not the easiest thing that we do. 
And also note that he says that it's not burdensome. Now, when I first read that, I said, have you got to be kidding me, John? Not burdensome? I mean, you know those people, right? Right? You know them. And I'm, I'm sure there's not any of them in here today that would be hard to love. But we all know them. And, you know, I just, I pray, Lord... You know, and what God says to me, he says, John, you don't have to like them. Love them. And I go, Dad, uh, I don't, eh. And now he says that it's not burdensome? The Greek word there is baris, translated burdensome. And that's what it means. It means it is a burden that is light to carry. It is uh, it is something you put on your back and carry easily or in your arms. Um, literally, that's how the word is used both in the New Testament as well as in other places. But the word is also to describe that which cannot be held back. That which cannot be held back. I think that's what John meant here when he said burdensome. And this, these, and his commandments cannot be held back. As we experience the love of God, and it changes our hearts, slowly but surely through the process of change, we become able to love others, and it cannot be held back. Cannot be, you know, it's, it's kind of like I was at the TCU SMU game yesterday. Is there anybody in here that uh, doesn't know that I'm a huge SMU fan? Th- those of you who know that are laughing right now. And, um, uh, and there, is there anybody that doesn't know that SMU was a huge underdog against TCU over in Fort Worth yesterday? And is there any of you that don't know that SMU won? And I had tickets, supposedly in the SMU section, and I was surrounded by TCU fans. And I could not hold myself back. I mean, they were staring at me. I was jumping up and down. I, was, I couldn't hold myself back. I tried to be polite because I knew that they were really hurting on the inside. But I just couldn't do it. And his commandments cannot be held back. Wow. They flow from a heart filled with love for the Father and his children. Uh, General Charles Duke, who was on Apollo 16, and he walked on the moon, and he had a rather short walk, and And when he got back in the news conference, one of the reporters was pressing him on how short his walk was. And they they said to him, didn't you want to stay out longer? Couldn't you have stayed out longer? Couldn't you have disobeyed NASA and just stayed out a little bit longer? I mean, it's got to be incredible to walk on the moon. And he said, yeah, I wanted to stay out longer. But... I knew that we had only 60 seconds of fuel and that every second that I spent outside 
had the potential of taking away from that fuel. And I had NASA talking in my ear, telling me and giving me orders and commandments on what I was to do next. And I knew if I did not follow their commandments, I was never going to make it home. And as much as I wanted to walk on the moon, I wanted to get home. I think that's what John is saying here. Sometimes as much as we want to (laughs) play out our humanity, if we want to get home, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as self. You know, sometimes Christians whine about having to obey God's commandments like children complaining about having to go to bed on time. when it's in our best interest. God is not trying to restrict our life, but open us up to greater life. Just say that over and over again in your head. God's not trying to restrict my life. God is opening up my life. God is not trying to restrict my life. God is opening up my life. The closer I get to the center, being born of God, less burdensome and the less I can hold back what God has put within me. Now, verse 5 is the best part. It's really the coolest part. And this really is going to lead us to the rest of, the, of, of what John has to say in chapter 5, which is the closing of his letter. He says this, Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We are victors, not victims. We are victors, not victims. There are too many Christians that are walking around like victims. There are too many Christians that are wondering why this or that is happening to me. Or why is this particular... We are not victims. We are victors. And know this... That God does not waste anything in our lives. As I was was reading through my Emotionally Healthy Relationship devotional, one of the devotions had had to say about, you know, there's some tough things in our lives and we've made mistakes and and there have been situations that have been painful. And, and, And the point of that devotion was that God does not waste even those things most painful in our lives. conquer the world even in our weakness the the verb translated uh, overcomes is nakeo which uh, it does mean to conquer and here John uses it to refer to those who overcome Satan and the world including the the, uh, deceptions and damaging temptations and it's through the inner working of the Holy Spirit that we are able to work ourselves through to be those Nikea, those conquerors. For this victory has overcome the world through our faith. Now, I think John wants to be clear here that it is not our good works, our personal perseverance 
that overcomes the world. It is our faith in Jesus Christ. He has done the work. He has finished. And he has let loose the power of the Holy Spirit upon this world. And John makes it abundantly clear, and there's no room for understanding, that we overcome the world not by one ounce of our own strength, but rather through the strength, power, and presence of Jesus Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world? But he who believes, there that word again, in Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, one aside here, do any of you have clothing with Nike on it? I, I should say, anybody not have clothing or shoes that have Nike on it? Uh, how, how many do you have? Here's a coach over here. Too many to count, yeah. I, I didn't know. I, I began to, I realized as I was, as I was doing the word study that the word for victory in the Bible is Nike. And I'm thinking, did Nike steal this from the New Testament? You know, sadly not. <laughs> what they did was is that they borrowed their logo and their name from the Greek goddess of victory. From a pagan god whose name was Nike. There's a temple at the top of Acropolis in, uh, in Athens to uh, Athena Nike, to the victor. And when you find the word in the New Testament, it is for victory, it's Nike. John uses it th four times in this passage. And, and so even though they've named it after a Greek goddess, I'm going to start treating it like the victory of God. So that every time I see that swoosh or swash or whatever it is, I am reminded of God's victory. I am reminded of what God has given to me through Jesus Christ. I am reminded what God is continuing to do. For and, and as we read it using those four words, it might better sound like whatever is born of God victories the world and this is the victory that he has victored the world even in our victorious faith. There is nothing, not any circumstance or situation, not even death, says Paul, that stands between us and the love of God. By the work of of Jesus Christ and by our belief in him. And don't let anybody tell you any different. I, I want to close with a story that illustrates this because um, I've told it before, about a year and a half ago before Christmas. Um, it's a story about uh, a man and his son. During World War II, the son was called into the military. And one evening, there was a knock on the door that no parent during World War II wanted to receive. When he opened the door, there was a corporal that was standing there in front of him. The corporal had a package, and 
not sure exactly what the phrase is. It's pretty much the same from what I understand. It's, sir, it is with great sympathy and sorrow that I have to share with you that your son has been lost in the war. He was emotionally uh, distraught about it. And, but the young man said, you know, before he was deployed, and I'm going to be deployed next week, we became good friends in our training. And I learned that you and he have an extensive collection of masterpiece paintings. And the man said, yes, I've been fortunate over the years to uh, make quite a bit of money. And my son and I, you know, spent his uh, teenage and, and, and early years, you know, learning about art and buying some of the best art. In the, and he says, yes, it was, it was what we did together. And he said, well, I painted a picture of your son and I want to give it to you. And he unwrapped the picture, and he, it was framed, and he gave it to the father. And the, the father was so grateful, he began to weep. And he said, please, you know, as you, as you go to Europe, will you keep in touch with me? Well, the man, the young man, was assigned to the same unit that the, the son was assigned to. And when he got there, he learned, and he would write the father and tell him the stories, the heroism of the son things that he had done for his comrades, the the lives that he had saved, and how he had actually given his life to save another soldier. The man, the old man, fell in love with the picture. So he rearranged all of his masterpieces. He puts the son's picture above the mantle. It wasn't a great painting. certainly wasn't a masterpiece. But it was his son, and he loved it. Soon after the war, he contracted the disease. He passed away, and there was a a state sale that took place, an auction. And in particular, the (laughs) patrons were interested in the paintings. They gathered together. And the first painting that went on the auction was the painting of the young man. And one man even said, what are you doing? That's not a masterpiece. We have no interest in that painting. It's not even a good painting. And the auctioneer said, yes, but the father loved the son. And this painting was most important to him, and he wants it to be sold first. Who will make a bid? Silence. Come on. Who will make a bid? Silence. An older gentleman in the back who happened to be the caretaker for the old man in his final years who knew the boy as he'd grown up, he said, it would mean a lot to me. I only have $50. I will bid $50. The auctioneer said, anybody else want to bid? No one. Let's get on with this. Let's get on with the auction. Get this out of the way. Who cares about the sun? And so the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold. And with that, he said, the auction is over. What? What? The auction is over. All of these masterpieces on my, oh my, millions of dollars in masterpieces. What? The auction cannot be over. And the auctioneer said, no, the father was clear. Whoever chooses my son gets everything.
Do you hear it? Yeah, 